Well, hey, uh, good morning, community of faith. How are we doing today? It is, uh, it's so good to be back. I absolutely love this place, and I've missed being here, so it's so good to be back and see you. I love the Shooks, I love Wes, and I love what God is doing in and through this church. I want to start just by sharing a story which will be familiar to some of you, uh, but several years ago, I made a very unfortunate decision. Clearly, I did not seek wise counsel. I did not clearly seek the Lord about it. I decided to try and drive from Austin, Texas to Dallas, Texas with my two boys who were two and a half and five months old at the time, but I was going to try and do that without my wife. And that was just a horrible mistake. I don't encourage any dad to try and do that. But I, uh, I uh, got in the car with my two boys, and we began to make our way up I-35. And for the first hour of the trip, I was crushing it as a dad. Uh, primarily because my kids were asleep, but uh, everything was going great for the first hour. And after an hour, I decided that we would pull off into Temple to the Chick-fil-A there because it was time to eat lunch. And so as we pulled into the parking lot, I sat there and I thought through everything that needed to happen in order for me to get in and out with my kids without uh, dying. And so I uh, felt like I had my game plan. It was time to execute. I get out of the car And man, I just look like a circus. I've got the diaper bag slung over my chest. I've got my two-and-a-half-year-old in this hand. I've got the the car seat carrier with my five-month-old Andrew in this hand. And you can just see the sympathy on the faces of the Chick-fil-A workers. They're opening the door, and they're like, my pleasure. Like, they're my pleasure had sympathy embedded into it. And so we go in, and we order. We sit down. We're enjoying our lunch. Everything is exactly as it should be until... Right there in the middle of lunch, my five-month-old just destroys his diaper. Like the type of destruction that if I were to ignore it, I would be a bad dad. That sort of destruction. And so I decided we need to take care of this. So I gathered up everything that we owned, and we made our way into the men's bathroom of the Chick-fil-A in Temple, Texas. And I guess every man's bladder was synced up on that day because it's like every other person in the restaurant went into that bathroom. That's besides the point. But we're in there, and I pull down the changing table, and I put my five-month-old Andrew on it, and I tell my two-and-a-half-year-old Noah to just stand here right at my side. And I just begin ferociously wiping Andrew down, trying to get him cleaned up. And he decides to flood the changing table, different number this time. And so here we are, he puts that changing table out of order. Like it's not standing water, it's standing something. And that thing is out of order. And just as he floods the changing table, I use my last wet wipe. And so here I am stranded in a moment, people. Like I need you to picture this. I am now holding a bare-bottomed, baby up in the air with nowhere to put him and nothing to clean him up with. And you're like, sounds like worst case scenario. No, it isn't. Because I look left just in time to see my two and a half year old playing with the urinal cake. That's worst case scenario, people. And as God smiled as he watched, He was glad that I had that moment of realization. There are times in life where I just don't have what it takes. Like there is just those moments where we just need to be reminded there are times where we just don't have what it takes. 
And we're in this series that we're calling the comeback season. And each week we're talking about setbacks. And I don't know if I'd call my experience in the Chick-fil-A bathroom a setback. It was for me that day. And at least in that moment, that setback felt impossible. Like when I'm holding that bare bottom baby with nowhere to go, nowhere to put him, nothing to clean him up with, two and a half year old in the toilet with the urinal cake. Like that is an impossible moment, at least for the moment. And in that moment, I felt stressed out, overwhelmed and out of control. And fortunately, I made it through that day and life is good. But the reality is there's gonna be times where our circumstances are just bigger than we are. And we're gonna encounter setbacks that are a lot worse than a bare bottom baby and no changing table in Chick-fil-A. Like there's gonna be times where your setbacks feel impossible. Like the bills just keep piling up. Like the, the job just won't come through. Your marriage is on life support. Your kid is out of control and you feel like you've exhausted all your options. You or a loved one is dangerously sick. And there's gonna be times where we find ourselves in these circumstances that are just bigger than we are. We're up against a setback that feels impossible. And I just need you to understand that in these moments where you find yourself up against the wall, you have a choice to make. And here's the choice, and I hope you don't miss it. In those times, you're either gonna put your trust in what you have or in who has you. That's the decision you're gonna have to make. You're either gonna put your trust in what you have or in who has you. And it will make all of the difference as to whether or not your life will be full of fear, fateful arrogance, or faith. I tell you that because this morning we're gonna look at quite possibly the most famous story in the entire Bible. It's the story of David beating Goliath. And so even if you're new to the Bible or new to church, this story probably isn't very new to you because we often use the imagery of David and Goliath as an analogy for any time you're in circumstances that seem bigger than you. And as we look at this story, we're not just looking at David beating Goliath. What we're doing is we're looking at how three different people handle a moment of circumstances that are bigger than them. We're gonna see three different men up against a setback that seems impossible. And two of the men are gonna put their trust in what they have. That's Saul and Goliath. But then the third person, David, is gonna put his trust in who has him. And it's gonna make all the difference. And so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is all about making a comeback, even in the midst of a setback that might seem impossible. And some of y'all desperately need to hear that, like you feel right now, like you're hanging by a thread. And even if you're not, you might not be sleeping nearly as well as you should be just because life feels overwhelming right now. And you're up against some things that you just can't see the clear path forward. This morning is especially for you. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is where we're going to be. And so the way that this is going to go is we're gonna zoom in on a particular character and we're gonna look at how they responded to a setback that seemed impossible. And then we'll zoom out and focus on the next person. We're gonna start with Saul. Saul was the first ever king of the nation of Israel. And just so you know, he was a mediocre king. Saul was a guy who put his trust in what he had 
and the result was fear. So let me just show you what we're gonna see in Saul. Here's what fear is. Fear is the result of believing that what you have is not enough. Like when you find yourself in a place where your circumstances are bigger than you, the question that might haunt you is, do I have what it takes? And there might be an answer already in your mind. You might be at a place where you're like, I do not have what it takes. Like, I do not have what it takes to make it through without failing. If Saul was asking the question, do I have what it takes? The answer was no, and the result was fear. Fear is the result of believing that what you have is not enough. So look at the text, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here's the setup. It says this. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to to Judah and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So that's simply the setup. The valley of Elah is a dry riverbed. It slopes down about a half a mile from either side. You have the Philistine army on one side. You have the Israel army on the other side. And now we get introduced to Goliath, one person, one soldier from the enemy lines. And as I read what I'm about to read, what I want you to know is this is the longest description of military attire in the entire Old Testament. Here's what it says, verse four. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. That word champion in the Hebrew, it means a man who goes between. And so what it means that that Goliath was a champion was that he steps out from his battle line as someone who goes between the two armies. And what he proposes is known as a representative battle. The thought is there's no point in two armies going to battle against each other in losing a bunch of men. Instead, Goliath will represent the Philistines and someone from Israel's army can come out and the two of them can fight and whoever wins will be a victory for that person's entire army. He's the champion, the man who goes between. Now listen to his description. There came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits in a span. That's about nine feet, nine inches. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's about 126 pounds. So just this guy's armor weighed about as much as Israel's scrawniest soldier. He had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The Shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's about 15 pounds. So just the tip of his spear, 15 pounds. And his shield bearer went before him. So I just want you to picture this. Picture this. This guy has got a guy. This guy has got a guy just devoted to him. His sole, I don't know if full-time benefits came with it, but like this guy's sole responsibility was to carry a shield defending Goliath. That's how you know when you've made it. When you, as a guy, have got a guy. Or you as a woman, you got a woman. Like you've got somebody just devoted to you. That Goliath has got a guy. 
And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. This is the representative battle I told you about. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So the reason that I told you beforehand that this is the longest description of military attire in the Old Testament is because the author is trying to do something. He's trying to make a point. He's trying to be so descriptive that we get the picture that Goliath is, in a sense, invincible to the eye. And so here's the thought. Saul and Israel are up against a setback that appears to be impossible. It's impossible. And what is Saul's response? Look at his response in verse 11 to a setback that seems impossible. It says this, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. What's his response? Fear. Why? Because he puts his trust in what he has. What you need to know about Saul is he was the tallest person in Israel. When he became king, the reason everyone loved him is because of how he looked. They looked at how tall he was and they were like, we got the right guy. We got the tallest guy around. He's got to be a good king. And yet he's vertically challenged compared to the 9-9 Goliath. Think about it. Saul has an entire army that he can look at and be like, you, go get it. But he doesn't have one guy under his command that stood a chance. And so Saul looks at what he has and what's his response? His response is fear. See, when you find yourself in a moment where your circumstances are bigger than you, you have a choice whether you're gonna put your trust in what you have or in who has you. Saul put his trust in what he had and the result was fear. Remember what I said, fear is the result of believing that what you have is not enough. Let me put it in more spiritual language, okay? Don't miss this. Fear is the result of acting like your circumstances or your setbacks are too big and your God is too small. That's when fear comes in, when the size of your God shrinks beneath the size of your circumstances or your setbacks. And so What does fear, how does fear manifest itself in our lives? Here's what it looks like. Here's how you will know if you're responding in fear to your circumstances. Number one, you will worry more than you pray. Have you ever experienced that before? I know I have. There have been times where I lay in bed at night and I, I can't sleep because there's some setback in my life. And so here's how it might go. I wonder if you've ever experienced this. There are times where I've been laying in bed trying to work the equation of figuring something out. And so I might lay there for 15, 20, 30 minutes stressing, trying to figure out the path forward. And then the thought comes into my mind, I should pray about this. I'm a pastor. That's what pastors should do. I should pray about this. And so I begin to talk at God about my circumstances. And then somehow... Without realizing it, I trail off from praying into working the equation again of trying to figure out how to make things work. I 
worry in moments, worry more than I pray. That's when fear has set in. That's when the size of my God has shrunk beneath the size of my circumstances. Another way that fear manifests itself is you just get paralyzed. Like paralysis sets into where you can't operate, you can't make decisions. Paralysis comes when there are problems without possibilities. And so we learn from the text that Saul and his men have been standing at battle for 40 days. For 40 days, they wake up to Goliath standing there saying, let's fight. It's paralyzed, can't move forward. He is tying up all of the resources of the nation because he cannot move forward. You see acts of desperation from Saul. He just begins to throw things on the wall, wondering what might stick. You know what he does? is he tells his army, he says, hey, whoever can go and fight and kill Goliath, I'll make you rich. You can marry my daughter. I wonder how she felt about that. Which means you will become royalty and I will let your entire family live in Israel tax-free. He's just throwing stuff against the wall. Acts of desperation. When fear sets in, we just begin to try and micromanage everything. And we just, in acts of desperation, we try and throw stuff out, hoping that it'll work. And instead of dependence, we operate out of desperation. Or you might begin to find wisdom in just bailing out of whatever it is that's causing the setback. You know, the best thing to do is I'm just going to bail out of my marriage. That's the answer. Is our marriage is on life support. I'm just going to bail out of my marriage. You know what? The parenting thing is too tough. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna bail on my kids. Like, I just, I can't do this. I can't handle this. I'm gonna bail out of my, my job just because it's just, I, I just can't, it's, I'm gonna bail out of my church. I'm gonna bail out of my friendships. I'm gonna bail out of whatever it is because I want to escape the discomfort of these circumstances. Or you medicate. We medicate. It might be with prescription pills, but it might be with food. Have you ever eaten your feelings? Or you drink your feelings? Or you overspend your feelings? That's what happens when fear sets in. And we try and deal with our circumstances with what we have. And what we have is not enough. Do you know what the opposite of fear is? It's fear. You're like, that makes zero sense. Let me tell you what I mean. My friend Kylan put it this way. I love what he said. He said, do not fear your circumstances. Fear the one who controls your circumstances. See, the response to fear should be fear. Fear in the one who controls your circumstances. Let me put it a different way for those who aren't liking the fear to fear thing. The goal is in confidence It's dependence. See, dependence will ultimately lead to confidence. Not that God will do exactly what you want him to do, but that he will do exactly what he wants to do. And that's actually the best thing that God could ever do for you, is to do exactly what he wants to do in your life. It's the most loving and generous thing he could ever do for you. The size of your God must inform your response to the size of your problem. So we're gonna zoom out now from Saul and let's focus on Goliath. You know what's interesting is Goliath, 
was up against a setback. He was in circumstances that were bigger than him. He was actually up against a setback that was impossible. We don't think about that when we think about Goliath. We always think about Goliath being the one with the upper hand. Here's the thing. Goliath was going up against the God of the universe. He was actually trying to defy the Lord of hosts. What it means when the Bible refers to God as the Lord of hosts is it means that he is the commander of angelic and earthly armies meaning that his resources are unlimited. And that's who Goliath is trying to go up against. I was driving in this morning from College Station and I was on the phone with my dad. He was like, what are you teaching on this morning? I was like, I'm teaching the story of David and Goliath. He was like, oh, that's a beautiful story. He was like, you know what it teaches us? It teaches us that if you're not with God, it doesn't matter how strong you are. I was like, that'll preach. That's actually really good, Dad. Like, you understand that story really, really well. Well done, Dad. Thank you for writing my sermon for me. It doesn't matter how strong you think you are. Without God, it will not be enough. So you need to know Goliath was a guy who put his trust in what he had. His response wasn't fear. His response was actually fateful arrogance. Let me tell you what fateful arrogance is. Faithful, fateful arrogance is the result of believing that what you have is more than enough. So if you're asking the question, do I have what it takes? Your answer is always pridefully, yes. I always have more than enough. Flip over to verse 41 of chapter 17. This is fast forwarding to the point where David goes out to meet Goliath. And here's what it says. It says, and the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer. Remember, he's got a guy with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. So um, Goliath looks at David and he's super offended. He's like, you sent a little man child, like a little teenage boy out to fight me. Here's why that was offensive is because Goliath can't go home and brag about the fight. Like there's, what are people going to do? Be like, you really got that teenage boy, didn't you, Goliath? Way to go, man. That'd be like me going to work tomorrow and be like, I was arm wrestling my three-year-old Jake and I was just like, cocoon, like don't come against your dad like that. You think my staff's going to be like, you are the man. That's the type of parenting our world needs. No, there's nothing to brag about. Goliath is, he's frustrated. He, his time is being wasted. Verse 43, and the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? He's like, what are you going to do? Spank me like a dog with your little toys? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. The Philistine said to David, come to me. I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Do you know what Goliath is doing? Goliath is looking at what he has compared to what David has. He sees his height. He sees his armor. And he sees a little teenage kid with a sling and some rocks. He looks at what he has compared to what David has. And he assumes that what he has is more than enough. It's fateful arrogance. So let me just put it in more spiritual terms, because remember I said fateful arrogance is the result of believing that what you have is more than enough. Let me position it this way. If fear 
is the result of acting like your circumstances are too big and your God is too small, then here's what faithful arrogance is. Faithful arrogance is the result of acting like your circumstances are small. You are big and God is not needed. Do you ever act with faithful arrogance? Like that, that's a hard thing to admit. But let me just tell you how to identify it. It's when you believe you're always right. So in your marriage, you're always right. In your parenting, you're always right. In your job, in your company, whatever you're doing, you are always right. So it doesn't matter what the circumstances is are. It doesn't matter what the setbacks are. You believe that you know best. Just to open the window to the Atik family from yesterday, we had an off day as an Atik family. Like we were just kind of at each other. We were kind of picking at each other. We were getting frustrated with each other to the point where last night I was like, hey, everybody in the room, like we are, we're having a family meeting. And I just said, hey guys, look, this has been a tough day for our family. And I had to go around to each of my family members. I was like, hey, will you forgive me because of, you know, talking to you too harsh or not being patient? Like, you know what the issue was? The issue in my own heart is that I believed that I was right all day long and that my way of doing things was the best way of doing things. And we didn't have setbacks yesterday. We had inconveniences. Like we went to brunch as a family and it was tough. Like those are first world problems, people. Like when, br- when brunch is tough. Like our kids' soccer games got canceled. Woe is me. But even in the midst of like minor circumstances, minor inconveniences, you know what was happening is fateful arrogance was popping up in my own life. Here's what you need to know. If you're always right in your marriage, there's something terribly wrong with your marriage. And if you're always right as the parent, there's something terribly wrong with your parenting. One of the best gifts you can give your kids is telling them, I blew it today. If you're always right in your job, there's a good chance you're hard to work with or work for. It's fateful arrogance. It's you believe you know best. And so just watch those times. If you're the one that always knows best, how's your prayer life? It's probably not very strong because you've bought into the lie that you just don't need God that much because you have it all figured out. Okay, faithful arrogance. You know that cliche, pride goes before the fall? Do you know where that came from? The Bible. Like it wasn't like someone tweeted that out or posted on Instagram. People were like, that was amazing. Did you see that post? Whoever said that is just so amazing. No, that's just Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is why the, the Bible is the most relevant book to your life. It will save you so much unnecessary pain. See, when you think you're strong, that's when you're truly weak because you've shut off the supply of God's power and provision in your life. It's only when you're weak that you open the door to being strong because you become dependent on God's strength. Saul and Goliath both put their trust in what they had. 
And the result was either fear or fateful arrogance. David was different. David didn't put his trust in what he had. He put his trust in who had him. And the result was faith. Let me just tell you what faith is. Faith is the result of believing that what you have is not nearly as important as who has you. See, if you're asking the question, do I have what it takes? You might have to get to a place where you say, that question is irrelevant. The question is, who has me? And does he have what it takes? And the answer will always be yes. Just to fill you in on David, in this moment in history for him, he's not even old enough to fight in the nation's army. You had to be 20 years old to fight in Israel's army. So David was somewhere between the ages of 15 and 19. And he's basically the security board boy. Like his dad is loading him up with 10 different types of cheeses. I can't even name 10 types of cheeses, but 10 types of cheeses and bread. And he sends him to battle to bring refreshments to his brothers who are fighting in the army. He's the refreshment cart boy. And he shows up. And when he shows up, he sees Goliath. Goliath comes out and does what he does every day. He challenges the Israelite army. But David's response is different. Look at what it says in verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you hear what he's saying? He's like, whoa, wait, wait. what's going on here? that the king is going to give his daughter and make someone rich and let people live tax-free for taking out this joker who's trying to come against the Lord of hosts, our God? That's crazy. And you know what his response, people begin to talk about his response, and it makes its way all the way up to the king. Why? Because Faith is compelling, it's captivating, it's worth talking about. Remember, we live in a world that is saturated with either fear or fateful arrogance. Saturated. Like in our world, when people are up against setbacks, they operate in one of two ways. They either tremble in fear and they medicate, or they have fateful arrogance and they're oblivious to what's really happening in life. So when someone moves forward in faith, it's, it's captivating. It catches us off guard. We end up telling the story of other people's faith. That's what's happening with David. And so Saul the king brings him in. And listen to what Saul says. Verse 30, 33. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you're but a youth. He's been a man of war from his youth. See, Saul's just got that old operating system. He puts his trust in what he has. He looks at what David has. He looks at what Goliath has. He's like, Goliath has more. He has more experience than you. You you can't win. Watch David's response. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard 
and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Now, it, it almost looks like David is responding just like Saul and Goliath. It appears that David is putting his trust in what he has. Because what did he do? He just spouted out his resume. He's like, dude, I've, I've grabbed the beard of a lion. Have you ever done that? No. Okay, I've got experience. I can take this guy. It looks like he's putting his trust in what he has, but watch how he continues. He has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Do you see the difference? David is like, I'm here to not put my trust in what I have. I'm here to put my trust in who has me. I've been to battle with lions and bears and he delivered me and he'll do it again. I trust him. He will go to battle for me. You know, it's interesting is Saul tried to load David up with his armor and David rejected his armor. And when he rejected Saul's armor, it was like he was rejecting Saul's way of operating as king because David knew that he would be king one day. And it was as if David as a teenage boy was saying, I'm not gonna operate like that when I'm king. I'm not gonna be a king who puts my trust in what I have. I will be a king who puts my trust in who has me. So David runs out to battle against Goliath. And look at what happens, verse 44. I'm sorry, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Do you see what his message is to Goliath? He's like, Goliath, you poor little kid, you put your trust in what you have, your cute little javelin, your cute little spear. But my trust is not in what I have, it's in who has me. And you're gonna defy the army of the living God, not today. And today will be your end. And I love how verse 50 kind of sums up the story. It says, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. Now watch this detail that the author includes. There was no sword in the hand of David. Isn't that interesting? It's like he's summing things up, like David won. Hey, by the way, there was no sword in his hand. Isn't that a weird detail? It's as if he's saying, David won by putting his trust, not in what he had, but in who had him. Because who carried a sword? Saul carried a sword. Goliath carried a sword. Things fashioned by man. What did David use? He used stones that had been fashioned by the living God. It's David saying, I don't put my trust in what I have. I put my trust in who has me. So let me just, let me bring the spiritual wording together. So don't miss this. If you're tuned out, tune in. If fear 
is the result of acting like your circumstances are too big and your God is too small. And if faithful arrogance is the result of acting like your circumstances are small, you are big and God is not needed, then faith is the result of acting like your circumstances are big, your God is bigger, and your size is irrelevant. That's faith. So the question that you should be asking is, okay, well, how do I increase my faith? Like, how does faith rise up in my soul and in my life? It's what we see in David, a big view of God and a zeal for God's glory. Do you know what I'm saying? A big view of God. What I'm talking about when I say a big view of God, I am telling you that every day you wake up and you worship and you read the word until the size of your God outpaces the size of your circumstances. That's what worship is. Worship is you expanding your view of God. So you wake up and you worship till the size of your God outmatches and outpaces the side of of your circumstances. And when I talk about a zeal for God's glory, what was David's desire? His desire was that the whole assembly would know that there is a God. And so when I talk about a zeal for God's glory, I'm talking about you every day just waking up and saying, God, don't do what I want you to do. Do what you want to do and do something so spectacular that when people look at my life, there's no way they could give me credit for it. When people see what you do in my life, people will be able to look and say, there is a God, and that person knows him. Big view of God in a zeal for his glory. So what do we do with a message like this? Let me just encourage you. Before you leave today, let me just invite you to sit with the Lord and confess any fear or arrogance in your own life. Just confess it. And then when you get home or when you go to lunch, sit with your spouse, sit with a friend, sit with a family member, and just ask them, what is most visible in my life right now? Is it fear, faithful arrogance, or faith? And then I just want to challenge you guys to get on your knees together and pray for one another and pray that faith would rise up in your lives. And then this week, let me challenge you to fight for as big a view of God as possible. Wake up and worship till the size of your God outpaces the size of your circumstances and pray that he would be glorified through your life. I'll close today just by pointing you to Jesus, I want you to know it would be a massive failure on my part as a Bible teacher to study the story of David and Goliath with you and to just leave it at David conquering a giant. Like that would be a massive failure because our tendency would be to take this story and put ourselves in the story and we naturally wanna think that we are David in the story, but we're not David in the story Jesus is David in the story. If we're anyone, we're probably Saul. Like we're the one that is trembling in fear because what we have is not enough. See, Jesus is the greater David. David went to battle with a giant and won. Jesus went to battle with Satan, sin, and death and was victorious. 
you need to know that just as David went out to fight on behalf of the army of Israel, Jesus Christ went to the cross to do battle for every single one of us. He is our champion. He is the man who went between for us, and he went to conquer Satan's sin and death. He died the death that every one of us deserved to die, and he walked out of a tomb victoriously so that anyone who had put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ would experience eternal forgiveness for sins. David conquered by killing Jesus conquered by being killed. Jesus died so that we could live. Do you know him? If not, the invitation to you this morning is to come. Because you can operate in fear. You can think about eternity sometimes, and you can be paralyzed with fear, wondering if when you stand before God, it'll be enough. And I'll just tell you right now, it won't be enough. You can operate with fateful arrogance. You can believe you can do your own thing. Everyone can just do their own thing and God will just put up with you and accept you because that's what God does. He'll just, he has to love you no matter what you do. And you can do things your own way. But just so you know, Jesus has been clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or you can move forward in faith. You can put your trust not in what you have, good church attendance, charitable giving. No, you put your trust in who has you, that Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth to rescue you and me, making a way for you and me into the family of God. Would you come and know him, trust in him, and walk with him? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you know you see every heart in this room and you are intimately acquainted with all of our ways and you know every setback that is in this place. You know the people in here who are just hanging by a thread. And Lord, our tendency is going to feel fear or to move forward with faithful arrogance. Our tendency is going to be to shrink you down to someone less than who you truly are. And so we just acknowledge, God, that you are always more than we know you to be. And you have everything that we need, God. If we're asking the question, do we have what it takes? The answer is often no, but you always have what it takes. And you are enough. So I pray that today faith would rise up in this place and that you would be our king and we would walk with you in faith. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.